Good evening, church. Great to be here. Good to see you all out this evening. Theme of our message this evening is God's goodness. It uh, should be up behind us. Uh, I think Jan was working on the outline on Friday or Wednesday, one of those days. And uh, we're going to use one verse as our text, Psalms 31, 19. A lot of scriptures could be used for a text for this type of uh, topical sermon uh, where we're going to be looking at various scriptures talking about God's goodness and how he's good to us. But um, Psalms 31, 19, uh, I'm going to be reading from. And again, I'll be reading from the New American Standard. <clears throat> it says in Psalms 31, 19, How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have performed for those who take refuge in you, before the sons of mankind. How great is God's goodness to us. It says here in this verse that he has stored up his goodness. You know, when we store things up, sometimes we store a large amount and everything. But just think about God being the Almighty. Man, how huge are his storehouses, his vaults that he stores things up for those who fear him, those, those who love him, those who understand that he's God and who he is. And um, for those of us who are taking refuge in us, he'll perform things for us and he'll give us these good things. What a wonderful thing to think about. We as Christians, when we think about this goodness of God, we should be thankful for all of the wonderful good things that God provides for us. I'd like to read a poem for you, written by Ann Johnson Flint. And uh, <clears throat> this is a poem that, that I've used in funerals, uh, portions of it. And um, it's been a long time uh, since I've, I've used this poem. And there's a couple spots I'm not sure of if, if the wording's quite right. So bear with me, but I think overall you'll, you'll get the idea of the poem. It says, God hath not promised skies always blue, flower-strewn pathways all our lives through. God hath not promised sun without rain and joy without sorrow and peace without pain. God hath not promised we shall not know toil and temptation and trouble and woe. He hath not told us we should... We shall not bear many a burden and many a care. God hath not promised smooth roads and wide, swift, easy travel, needing no guide, never a mountain, rocky and steep, never a river, turban and deep. But God hath promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, an unfailing sympathy, and an undying love. God's kind care, God's goodness and care 
that he has for us. You know, God never promised or said that everything was going to be great, that everything was going to be roses or wonderful, you know, for all people, all the time. But, you know, God is good, and we must not forget that. And the scriptures abound in not only the Old Testament, but also the New Testament, uh, telling us of the goodness of God. Let me read a couple verses. Exodus 18.9 says, And Jethro rejoiced over all the goodness which the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, says that he rejoiced over the goodness that the Lord had for them. Psalms 33.5 says, He loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. The material things, the earthly goodness that God grants us, whether it's what we see in creation, maybe in the weather, in livestocks, for of animals for food, or the harvest where we receive corn and grain and soybeans and other vegetation, fruit and nuts and herbs and spices, cotton, fish, natural resources like all the oil and the coal and the, and the natural gas that he gives us. And this is just a short list of the goodness of God and the good things that he gives us and that the earth is full of these things. Psalms 86.5 says, For you, Lord, are good and are ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all who call upon you. Wow, talking about spiritual goodness. And did he... His goodness is, is ready to forgive us. And we're able to have his mercy. If we call upon him, if we do the things that we need to do to become a Christian and to be saved. Psalms 145, 7 says, They will burst forth in speaking of your abundant goodness. They're going to burst forth. I mean, they're not going to be able to contain themselves. Their lip, their vocal cords, they're just going to start bursting forth and just start telling all the great and wonderful good things. It says, and, and they're going to shout joyfully of your righteousness. They're going to shout joyfully of God's goodness and his righteousness and what he provides for us. In the New Testament, Romans 2, 4 says, or do you think lightly of the riches of his goodness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the goodness of God leads to repentance? You know, we could never be saved without God's goodness, without his kindness. His goodness, though, is conditional. Yes, I know 
when we think of the goodness and the things that are out there in the, in the world, people receive goodness. But Romans 11.22 says, Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but toward you goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. You see, to really be able to receive all of the goodness which is available, the forgiveness of sins and the hope and promises of heaven and so forth, these things, it's if. See, it's conditional. If you continue in his goodness and these things that he provides for us. You know, how can we measure the goodness of God? With a measuring bucket? With a big, long stick? Can we do it with a wonderful tape measure? <clears throat> can we do it with a ruler? Or the biggest scales that maybe are out there in the world? No. We can't measure it that way. But it's measured best by the cross of Jesus our Lord and our Redeemer. First off, every sinner should have been in hell yesterday. What? What are you saying, Dave? We should be in hell. But by the goodness of God, he doesn't never need to go there. Well, how do we know that? Well, very close friend of Jesus, one of the inner circle, Peter, in 2 Peter 3, 9 said, The Lord is not slow about his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, not wishing for anybody to go to hell. So he's patient, but he wants all to come to repentance. Remember that passage it is the goodness of God that leads us to repent. There in Romans 2.4. I'll read it again. It says, Or do you think lightly of the riches of His goodness and forbearance and patience and knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Because God's so good and takes care of us. And that leads us to Him. That makes us want to be closer to Him and to draw near to Him in life. You know, when we consider our sinfulness compared to His holiness, it's hard to understand why He ever loved us. But you know what? I'm, I'm so glad that He did. You see, through God's goodness, He died for our sins and paid the debt that we could never pay so that we could go to heaven and not perish and go to hell Go to the lake of fire. Go to the second death. Secondly, God is good to make provision for our salvation. What, he, what did he do to save us? Well, he sent his son to die for us, John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Not only did he send his son, he sent the prophets of old to prepare man for the coming of Jesus. 
He inspired men, holy men, to write these things down for us that we could read them and to have them and to study them. He sent a special measure of the Holy Spirit and baptism of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles that they would go around preaching the gospel and establishing the church starting there in Acts chapter 2. And think about Jesus himself. He gave so much. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. It's as if he said, Hey Dave, I'm going to take off my robe, my crown. I'm going to leave my place here with my Father in heaven for 33 and a half years that I might become a benefactor of my great sacrifice on the cross for you. You see, he had all the joys and the riches of heaven, but he left it and entered this world through a barn door. He walked the streets of despised Nazareth. They said, how can anything good come from that place? And he did that just to lift us out of the abyss of sin and be able to set us on our feet so that we could walk on the king's highway. And not only did Jesus do that, Jesus also brought grace from heaven to earth. You see, he brought grace that's called surpassing grace in 2 Corinthians 9, 14. He brought sufficient grace, more than enough of what we need, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And we have the riches of his grace, and we receive that, Ephesians 1, 7. You know, grace is God giving us what we need, not what we deserve. You see, what we need is our sins forgiven. And we need to go to heaven and be able to live in a joyous, wonderful place for eternity. But what do we deserve? We deserve punishment for our sins, right? The wages of sin is death. God told Adam and Eve, the day you eat from that tree in the middle of the garden, you shall surely die. You see, we deserve punishment. We deserve to go to hell. We deserve to go to the second death. But God in his grace doesn't do that. He doesn't send us to that place unless we choose it and we want to go there. We have his son and this wonderful grace that he gives us, a surpassing, sufficient, rich Grace. It reminds me of the story, you know of it, from Mark Twain called The Prince and the Pauper. It was a tale about a son of a king who made friends with a son of a poor pauper boy in the town. They looked like identical twins. The little prince, he became bored with all the pomp and pageantry of living in the palace. And so the two boys exchanged clothes and places in the world. 
The prince found out what life was really like out on the street in the ghetto. And the boy who took his place wasn't too happy being a prince for a while either. But we see that the story has a happy ending. For finally the true prince came back to the palace and he lifts the pauper friend from the ghetto and out of the poverty and they both live happily thereafter. I know it's not quite the same with Jesus and us, but there's similarity there. Jesus lifts us into heavenly places. He's the Son of God. God in the flesh, Emmanuel, when He left heaven and He came here and He was able to lift us if we accept what He's done for us on Calvary. That's God's goodness. Thirdly, in His goodness, God cares for us. 1 Peter 5, 7 urges us there to cast all of our cares upon Him because He cares for you. He wants us to cast all of our cares, our burdens, our worries, our concerns because He cares about us. Every time you feel forsaken, just remember this, that God cares for you. If you have a broken heart, just remember the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalms 34, 18. If you feel persecuted for righteousness' sake, He calls you blessed. Matthew 5, 10, and 11. If friends and family reject you for your faith, He cares. Psalms 27, 10 says, My father and my mother have forsaken me. But the Lord will take me up. When you feel that you're at wit's end and you're at the, at the bottom, you're done. Remember the poor widow and Elijah. Remember that story there in 1 Kings 17? And Elijah came and said, what you doing? She said, I'm gathering some sticks. I'm going to got just a little bit of meal here and a little bit of oil and I'm going to make a cake and my son and I are going to eat it and then die. He says, hey, could you give me some water? And uh, would you make me a cake first? I can just see the conversation. Did you hear what I said? This is all I got. My son and I are going to have a little meal together and then we're going to die from starvation. He says, well, if you do what I asked you, those things won't run out. And you know, that woman had faith in the prophet Elijah. She got him a little jar of water. She made him a cake first. And what happened? That jar of meal never ran out. That jar of oil never ran out. You see, when we feel like we're at our wit's end, we can go to Jesus and He cares and He can help us find a solution. When a man who was born blind but healed by Jesus was cast out of the synagogue, Jesus knew that that happened and what did He do? Jesus went and looked him up in John 9 and encouraged him. When you feel you, you need a hiding place from your enemies, 
The Lord, He'll be your stronghold. Nahum 1.7 says, The Lord's good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in Him. The Lord's good. He's your stronghold in that day of trouble. He knows those who come and take refuge in Him. When you feel overcome with infirmities, remember, He's touched by your feelings. Hebrews 4, 15. Story you've probably heard of before. If you are having troubles in your home that you haven't caused, remember the story of Carl Weigel. He was a minister who was gone a lot visiting amongst his members and prospects. Sometimes he was away on revivals for weeks. One day he came home and his wife had her bags packed. She said, I'm tired of being a preacher's wife. I'm tired of being tied down. I'm going to live with my sister in California. And they lived in Florida. After seeing her off, he drove to a pier and he sat down and he wept. As he looked over the moonlit waters, he felt like he was all alone. He had not yet told his caring Christian friends. He didn't quite know how to break the news to them. All he could do was just pray. He was so discouraged. It seemed like Satan was challenging him to jump into the ocean. Drowned himself. But he knew that that wasn't the solution. Soon he went home. He sat down at his piano. And in a few minutes, he composed a song that's been translated into over 42 different languages in the world. The song's entitled, No One Ever Cared for Me Like Jesus. Jesus cares about us. That's his goodness. He wants us to cast his burdens on him. Nobody cares for us like him. Man, Satan lost that battle there with him. Fourthly, God in his goodness takes weak, unworthy folks like you and me, and he's able to mold us into soul winners. You see, he can and does take the weak and the foolish things of this world, and he works his holy will. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27 says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. Isn't that wonderful? Think about the political season and that that we're in right now. Those who are in political office trying to get reelected, those who are trying to get elected maybe for the first time. Think about those men. Think about religious leaders and even Jesus. You see, no recognized political or religious leader would look to common people 
and choose a cabinet of men to carry out a worldwide plan. Yet that's what Jesus did in choosing his apostles. He chose the weak things. He didn't go and pick the high priest, the best scribes, the best Pharisees, the best Sadducees, the best zealots of the land, the best teachers and rabbis. He just went and got these common men. And you know what? They got the job done. So many of God's most effective workers were surprises. Think about the youngest of the family. David, working with sheep. He picked him and he became the king. Slew a giant. Won many great battles for the Lord against the uncircumcised Philistines. When God called, called Moses, he too, he was tending sheep for his father-in-law, Jethro, in Exodus 3. And God used him, the great lawgiver, the great deliverer who led God's people out of Egypt. How about Amos, the fearless prophet of God, who said, I'm not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet. He said, I'm a herdsman, a grower of sycamore figs, Amos 7:14. But God used Amos to do great things. And God can take our lives with our weak things if we allow him. And we can go out and share the good news of the gospel. And we can tell others our story and tell others how we were saved and point to the scriptures and encourage them and help them if we would allow the Lord to use us. Our fifth point is God is so good to promise us that we will, that he will come again, raise the dead, and take us to a prepared place. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-18 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who remain, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. You see, Jesus is coming back, the second coming. And he's going to bring those people that are dead in the graves out of the tombs. And we who are alive, and we're going to be caught up and meet him in the air and be with him forever. <clears throat> right before Jesus was going to be betrayed and arrested in John chapter 14, he told his men there in John 14, 1 through 6, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. Because I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again. And will take you to myself. So that where I am, there you also will be. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father 
except through me. Jesus, after he died with many convincing proofs over 40 days, proved that he was risen, ascended into heaven, and was there coronated and glorified as the great King of kings and Lord of lords. And it says that he sat down at the right hand of God. You know, but he also went up there to do a job, to prepare a place for his church, for his bride. And he's waiting for that day when God says, go back and get them. And what did it say there? We're going to hear that shout from the voice of the archangel. And we're going to hear the trumpet of God. And you see, we're going to be caught up. And we're going to be able to go to this prepared place that he has for us. You see, that's the goodness of God. That he died on the cross for us and our sins and pay a debt that we could never pay. And then he go, went away and is preparing us a place that he's going to come back and get us and take us to so that we can live with him and the Father forever and ever in that place. Sixthly, God is good not to let sin go unpunished. Numbers 32, 23 says, But if... You will not do so. Behold, you have sinned against the Lord. Be sure your sin will find you out. He says if you, know, you sin, you've done things that are wrong. If you don't repent of those things, they're going to find you out. You're going to pay for it someday. Ecclesiastes 12, 13-14, the preacher there. The conclusion of the matter, at the end of the book he writes, When all has been heard is fear God, keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive compensation for his deeds done through the body in accordance with what he has done, whether good or bad. God will see to it that the righteous will be vindicated. Revelation 3.9 says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down before your feet and make them know that I have loved you. We're all going to stand before God at the judgment seat someday. We're going to have to give an account of everything that we've done, whether good or bad, every careless word that we've spoken. It says here, again, that passage in Revelation, that the righteous will be vindicated if they're saved, and again, part of his church, and have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They're going to make it to heaven. But those who don't do that, they're in trouble. Their sin's going to find them out. And they're going to end up in the second death. In hell's fire, which is prepared for the devil and his angels. When it's all said and done, the wicked will pay for their sin. And they'll cry out like that rich man in the story in Luke 16. In fiery torment, he was crying out, wanting a drop of water to cool his tongue. 
And there's going to be billions of people doing that, crying out someday, wanting a drop of water for their tongue. See, we have this chance, this opportunity while we live to accept the goodness of God, to be saved. It's our choice. We can choose to accept Jesus and what he's done for us and become a Christian, or we can choose not to. Then we're going to be standing before God ourselves. And our sins are going to be not removed, and we're going to be in trouble. In conclusion, the scriptures, they abound in references to the goodness of God. God in his goodness has made great provisions for our salvation He cares for us. He molds us into soul winners. He is coming again to take us to heaven, a grand and wonderful eternal home. He's not going to let sin go unpunished. But we need to ask ourselves, if you haven't yet, won't you accept this great offer and blessing to mankind, his son, Salvation. If you're not a Christian, why not do something about it today? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? If you do, are you willing to confess that before men? If you do, he'll confess you before the Father in heaven, the scriptures say. Are you willing to repent? Repent of the things of this world. Turn from them. Turn from the world. Turn from sin. Turn from false doctrines. Turn from Satan. Turn from your own lusts and appetites and desires and turn to God and to Jesus and to God's Word and to living a right life and get on that straight and narrow path and start walking down that road towards heaven. And then as it says there in Acts 2.38, When those people in verse 37 asked, what do we need to do? And what did he tell you? Peter replied and said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And once you've done that, then you become a Christian. But then you need to live a faithful life until the end. And then you'll be able to receive the crown of life.